Hello and welcome to Reliance's podcast. We hope that the message encourages your heart today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet weekly on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. And if you want to find out more about Reliance, come check us out online. There's a scripture that says a broken and a contrite heart. God, you will not despise. He does not despise your tears. He does not despise your broken and contrite heart. A contrite heart it, one of the things it means is that we're just quick to confess. We're quick to repent. We don't argue with God. When the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about something, don't argue with him. Don't defend yourself. Be contrite and just go, you're right, Lord. I'm confessing it, and I'm doing business with you now. May a spirit of contrition rest upon you and upon your family, and may you have grace to walk in a broken spirit and a contrite heart. I bless you in Jesus' name. Benjamin is going to hold the cross for me this morning because I want to preach under the shadow of the cross, and he's going to help me to do that today. Nobody saw the cross. When Jesus hung on that cross 2,000 years ago, everybody was staring at it, but nobody saw it. Nobody stood in front of the cross and prophesied over Jesus. Nobody stood in front of the cross and encouraged Jesus. There wasn't a single person that said to him, you're running the greatest race of human history. Run. You're fighting the greatest battle of human history. Fight. Nobody encouraged him that day. Nobody was saying to him, you're fulfilling Isaiah 53 right now. Wounded for our transgressions. Broke for her iniquities. By your stripes were healed. Nobody talked to him like this. Nobody said to him, you're fulfilling Genesis 3.15 right now. You're taking it in the heel and you're giving it to the devil in the head. Everybody was staring at the cross and nobody saw it. The most important event in human history and Nobody saw it, and I'm like, not much has changed. We're still not seeing the cross. Lord Jesus, would you get the fornication out of my eyes? Jesus, would you get the witchcraft out of my eyes? Jesus, would you get the covetousness out of my eyes? Would you wash my eyes today? Just, oh, I'm inviting you to pray it. Jesus, would you open my eyes that I might see your cross today in a way like I've never seen it before? May Jesus answer that prayer for you. Our scripture this morning is Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 46. Jesus has just been resurrected. It's the day of his resurrection. And he's meeting with his disciples. And most of what he says to them after the resurrection is forward-looking. But he's going to debrief just very quickly with them. Going to debrief. 
grief on the cross because the cross is so huge. And he basically has only one thing to say about the cross with his disciples. It's on our screen. He said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. When Jesus talked about the cross, he goes, it was necessary. He goes, it had to happen. I want you to notice what he didn't say. He didn't say that was the biggest injustice of human history. Should have never happened. Notice what he didn't say. Pilate really blew that one. Notice what he didn't say. The chief priests one day are going to give account for this. Notice what he didn't say. Guys, where were you? When the devil came after me, y'all all ran away. He only says one thing about the cross. He goes, it was necessary. The word necessary is a Greek word, D-E-I. Day, and it means necessary. Before the cross, Jesus used this word several times to say, it's got to happen. After the cross, he used it again a couple times to say, it had to happen. Jesus is going, the cross was necessary. I had to do the cross to take on the devil. I had to do the cross to overcome the world and sin. I had to do the cross to provide for your redemption. I had to do the cross to fulfill prophecy and scripture. The cross was necessary. Peter, in his epistle, is going to use the very same Greek word, dei, D-E-I, and he's going to use this word in connection to our fiery trials. Listen carefully. By using the same Greek word, D-E-I, Peter is going to draw a straight line between the cross and our fiery trials. Peter goes, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We find the Greek word dei, D-E-I, we find it in that little 
caveat statement if necessary. Oh, they changed my translation up here. This translation has the word necessary in it. I had the, I've got the New King James here. This translation actually puts the word necessary in this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. I don't even know what translation that is, but that's the word in there. If being necessary. Peter goes, sometimes our fiery trials are necessary. They certify our faith. There's a day coming, Micah, when you will stand in the presence of the angels. And the question is going to be, was her faith authentic? And they're going to go, look what she came through. She had people against her, the world against her, circumstances against her, finances against her, her health against her, in temptation, her flesh. And in the middle of all the war zone, she stood faithfully, lifted her heart to me, and loved me in the, all the battles of life. And heaven will look at your struggles and trials and go, this is the real deal. And heaven will put its official stamp, its imprimatur, boom, on your faith and declare authentic the real thing. Your trial is your certification. And the verse goes on to say that it will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in that day, Micah, they're not going to be talking about you. They're not going to be talking, did you see her out there? Man, did she run a race? Whoa, look at her go. They're not going to be talking about you. They're going to be talking about the grace of Christ. They're going to say, in spite of her weakness, in spite of her struggle, the grace of God was enough to carry her and to present her faultless at the throne of God. And your faith is going to become a praise to the goodness and the grace of Christ in your life. And the scripture says that this kind of faith is more precious than gold because gold will eventually deteriorate, but this kind of faith endures forever. If you're going to get something that valuable, you just may need to have some fiery trials in your life. It occurs to me that I forgot to mention I've got a book on this message this morning, so I'm just throwing it in there. If you want to get a book, we got it today. I got distracted, sorry. Sometimes you don't know what you've got until you test it. 
You decide you want to get yourself a motorcycle, so you go to the shop and you're looking at that thing and you're like, you know what, I think this might be my beast. I like the color, I like the specs, I like a... Now, I can live with the price point, but before you buy that motorcycle, you have one question you want to ask. Can I take it for a spin? Because until you test that thing, you're not really sure what you've got. And sometimes trials are necessary in our lives to test our faith. Because until it's tested, you're never really quite sure what you've got. Character is not known until it's proven by temptation. Love is not known until it's proven by hatred. You thought you loved everybody until they moved next door. <laughs> Faith is not known until it's proven by trials. And just as the cross was necessary for Jesus Christ, Peter goes, sometimes our trials are actually necessary to prove the authenticity of our faith. Trials refresh our fragrance. Our scripture for this is Jeremiah 48, 11. God is speaking about the nation of Moab. Jeremiah 48, 11, and he goes... Moab has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his drakes and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remained in him, and his scent has not changed. God is likening the nation of Moab to a vat of wine. In the winemaking process, they will pour the wine from this vessel into this vessel so that they can get it off the dregs. Remove the dregs and the wine can continue forward in the process of perfection. Leave it on the dregs and it gets old and gets a flavor that's not desirable. And God is saying to the nation of Moab, you've just sat on your dregs. You've gotten settled, stuffy, stagnant, and stinky. And now 
God's like, you know, it would have been helpful if y'all had gone into captivity as a nation. It would have been helpful if it had been mixed up a little bit. But you just got comfortable and sat there. And now the nation of Moab is going to come into judgment because they were never poured from vessel to vessel. God's going, nations have a fragrance to me. I wonder what America smells like. I think it's a good thing that we don't know. Churches have a fragrance to God. I think pastors are sometimes asking the question, what, what does our church smell like? Individuals have a fragrance to God. I personally think that it's a good thing to ask yourself, take a moment today sometime, and just go, God, what do I smell like to you? Sometimes God's like, you've been living in the same house, on the same street, in the same city, working the same job, going to the same school, hanging out with the same friends, going to the same church for too long. We're going to mix this up. And we're over here going, What just happened to me? And God's going, I'm freshening you up. Look what's happening in your life right now. You got a fresh longing for Jesus. You're hungry for him like you haven't been in a long time. You're spending time in his word again. You weep when you're in the word again. There's a fresh longing, a fresh fire, a fresh zeal. You're talking about Jesus with a freshness like you haven't in a long time. He's like, I've restored your first love. You actually needed to be poured from vessel to vessel. There's this tourist destination in Arizona called the biosphere. I've never been there, but it's in, in the middle of the Arizona desert. I've only Googled it, but biosphere. Here's what they did. They built several buildings, these large, large domed buildings, and it's like a vacuum bubble. Inside of this building is an ecosystem that is entirely separated from the external desert. Self-contained environment where everything inside is self-sustaining. And the idea was this. They're like, 
if we can sustain human life inside this bubble so that everything that is needed to live comes from inside this bubble, if we can do it here, maybe we can copy-paste it, do it on Mars, and support human life on Mars. So it was this space speculative experiment. I think somebody had too much money or something. They're called, they call themselves the world's largest greenhouse. So somebody goes, what would happen if we grew fruit trees in this biosphere? I mean, think about it. We can give them perfect growing conditions, perfect light, perfect temperatures, perfect water, perfect fertilizer. What would happen to fruit trees that are grown in perfect conditions? They're like, let's give it a shot. So they planted fruit trees in the biosphere. And sure enough, they produced this abundant harvest with just one problem. The branches kept breaking under the weight of the fruit because there was no wind in this artificial environment. Did you know that trees need wind? Trees need wind to keep their branches flexible so that when the fruit comes on the branches, instead of being brittle and snapping, the branches will flex and sustain the fruit. Trees actually need wind. Did you know that our planet needs storms? We don't enjoy storms. We think hurricanes. When we think hurricane, we mostly think damage and devastation. But our planet actually needs tropical storms and hurricanes and winds. They are nature's toilet. They flush our planet. Lots of reasons that we need storms. Yes, there are some negative, harmful things that happen in storms. Yes, when a wind comes through, it can break, snap branches off a tree. Uh, but we actually need storms sometimes in our lives in order to get us flexible again so that we can sustain the fruit of our next season. Just as the cross was 
necessary. And as Peter goes, just as our trials are sometimes necessary, this storm has been necessary in your life. Can you say thank you? Is there thanksgiving in your heart today? Thank you for this storm. Lord, you know I haven't enjoyed this season at all, but thank you that you love me enough to get me flexible. He's refreshed your love, gotten you flexible, and certified your faith. I was on a long flight one time coming across the ocean and when you're on one of those long flights you know you're looking at that screen like is there anything on this screen it's, the answer is mostly no but I found a documentary on winemaking and I'm like I got time so I watched this documentary on winemaking and they were, in this particular documentary, they were explaining what produces a vintage wine. A vintage wine, as I understand it, is a wine from a particular year that because of the growing conditions that particular year, it produced the kind of grapes that gave an uncommonly delightful wine. And they will talk about a vintage wine for years, 2012. Get yourself a bottle of 2012. That was the year. Hard to find. And if you find a bottle, you're going to pay for it. But I'm telling you, 2012, it was a vintage wine. <clears throat> so they're explaining in this documentary what produces a vintage wine. And I'm a novice Aurora. I'm looking at this thing as a novice, and I'm thinking to myself, I know what it produces a vintage wine. Lots of sun, lots of rain, warm temperatures. Voila! And they go, actually, the opposite. To get a vintage wine requires an adversarial growing season where the conditions of that season were hard on the vines. Too much sun, not enough sun. Too much rain, not enough rain. Too cold of temperatures. Adversarial growing conditions that forced the vines to work harder in order to produce their crop. And when a vine has to work harder to produce its crop, that's where you get a vintage wine. They said it like this. 
unstressed vines will never produce a vintage wine. And then they go like this. They said, a farmer will never irrigate his vineyard in a drought. And I'm a novice and I'm going, bro. <laughs> this is exactly the time you need to irrigate your vineyard. There's no rain. Your vineyard is dying. Keep your vineyard alive and irrigate the thing. And the farmer goes, no. If I irrigate my vineyard in this drought, the roots of the vines will return to the surface to capture the surface moisture. But if I intentionally stress the vines by deliberately withholding irrigation. The vines have only one direction to go. And now, under the duress of drought, did I just describe somebody's life? <laughs> under the duress of drought, the, the vine will take all of its strength and push it into the roots and push the roots into places, crooks and crannies and crevices and places in the earth that it has never had to find before because now the vine is desperate for moisture, desperate to survive. And in the desperate reach to survive, it's putting roots deeper than it ever has before. I call this holy desperation. When God dries you out, puts a drought in your life that makes you Desperate. God, if you don't come to me, I'm going to lose my mind. God, if you don't talk to me right now, I'm history. And in the desperation of a drought, now we're putting our roots deeper into the Word of God, into fasting and prayer, into the heart of God, into abiding in Christ, into living in the Spirit. The vines are now pushing roots this is for the Trekkie fans. P pushing roots where no root has gone before. And now the roots of the vines are touching untapped soil. Did you know that soil gets tired? How many have ever planted a garden in this room? You know that soil gets tired. 
soil gets depleted. But now the roots of the vines are going into places never depleted by a root before. Untapped nutrients, untapped minerals. And that's where you get a vintage wine. Somebody needs to say thank you to Jesus for your drought. Somebody needs to be grateful today that he loved you enough to make you so desperate that you put roots into him deeper than you would have if you had been settled and comfortable and slimy. He's making a vintage wine with your life. Just as the cross was necessary for Jesus, Peter goes, sometimes our fiery trials are also necessary. You have actually needed this drought. He, you've actually needed the stress of this season to make you so desperate. You can tweet it like this. Stressed vines produce vintage wines. I close with this thought. On the cross, Jesus worshipped his father. You're not going to find this verse in the gospel record. You're going to find it in David. It's in Psalm 22. Are there any Psalm 22 lovers in the room today? That's a whole, yeah, I know Savannah. It's a whole psalm on the cross of Jesus Christ. I love Psalm 22. And it goes like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in verse 3, David goes, you are holy. In Psalm 22, verse 3, in the Holy Spirit, David goes, Jesus on the cross said to his father, you are holy. He's got nails in his hands, nails in his feet, and he spreads his arms and he says to his father, you are holy. When you say to God, you are holy, holy. Here's what you're saying. You're saying to him, you are kind, you are tender, you are gentle, you are loving, you are compassionate, you are good, you are faithful, you are brilliant, you are wise, you are understanding, you are... You, I have no accusation against you right now. I've got electricity flashing through my being. I've got nails in my hands and feet. And I'm saying, you are beautiful. You are kind. And you are brilliant beyond all accusation. You are holy. When you say you are holy, it's one word that summarizes all of his fantastic attributes. You 
to describe God. Majestic, wise, strong, mighty, brilliant, tender, compassionate. Just take 10 minutes and use all the beautiful adjectives of God or put it all in one word. You are holy. And when Jesus was on the cross, he worshipped his Father. Some personal disclosure. When this happened to me 31 years ago, I was 35 years old. It's, it's the result of a bad surgery. That's kind of like the brief version of what happened. When this happened to me, I was a pastor, I was a worship leader, just began to lose everything that was part of my life. And I didn't know how to say to the Lord, thank you for this trial. I knew how to say thank you in the trial, but I didn't know how to say thank you for the trial. And I'll tell you why. I've got some promises from God, exceedingly great and precious promises. He has promised to heal me. He has promised to deliver me. He has promised to show me his salvation. I have so many promises. And it seemed to me that if I say to the Lord, thank you for this trial, that I am accepting it as my permanent lot in life. And I cannot accept this as my permanent lot in life. I've got too many good promises of his healing and his deliverance. I will never let go my promises. Never. I didn't know how to hold on to my promises and at the same time say, thank you for this trial. Until I came again to our text. One more time, Luke 24, please. He said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Just as the cross was necessary, so was the resurrection. He never intended for it to end with the cross. The cross was never meant to be Jesus' last chapter. And the cross is never meant to be your last chapter. Yes, it's been necessary in your life, but so 
to is your resurrection. It is essential that you rise. Your family is watching. Your children are watching. A generation is watching. They are looking for a testimony to the fatherhood of God through your life. And just as this trial has been necessary, the Holy Spirit says to you today, so is your resurrection. Therefore, while I'm still in this trial, while I'm still waiting on God for my resurrection, while I'm still waiting for him to fulfill his promise, I'm going to stand on my nail, spread my arms, and say with Jesus, you are holy. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's word. We hope that it continues to encourage you and bless you as you go about your day-to-day. And until then, we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.